You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary South. We exist to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission by seeing the lost redeemed, the redeemed matured, and the matured multiplied for the glory of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarysouth.com. We're going to the book of Mark again. We've been walking through the book of Mark for over a year together, and uh, we find ourselves today in chapter 12, verses 13 to 17. Chapter 12, verses 13 to 70, returning again to God's holy word as we walk in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. And as we do that, as we walk through God's word verse by verse, I just love how the Holy Spirit honors his word and he brings important things up at just the right time. And we're going to see that uh, this morning in in his word today. Uh, We've just come through a federal election, and recently, last year, a provincial election, and it seems like our country is more divided than ever. We have economic challenges here in the West, especially here in Calgary. We've got a, another four years with a liberal government. Many are upset. Many are angry. Many feel they don't have a voice. Many feel unheard and unrepresented, and I get it. I, I feel that way as well out here in the West. Kim will tell you that uh, when we're up in the morning having our coffee watching the news, it doesn't take me long before I get a little worked up watching the news. When I hear how our leaders are passing uh, immoral bills and embracing immoral values, and my blood can get boiling. So I feel this. I feel this temptation to, to lash out, to be disrespectful. I feel anger sometimes dwelling up within me towards our government, towards our leaders. I don't know if you feel the same way at times. I think many of us here in Alberta, especially in Calgary right now, and even more so as Christians, we're finding it harder and harder to respect and follow our governing authorities. And so I say that we would have authority issues. That's why I named this authority issues. We're going to see that here in the text but what do we do about it? How do we, how do we view this? How do we operate as Christians in light of our country, in light of our, our government? How do we respond to the authority that is over us? Do we operate based on our feelings, our anxieties, our fears, or do we operate based on God's word, his revealed truth? Ask yourself, does God have anything to say as to how Christians are to relate to their governing authorities? As we turn to chapter 12, verses 13 to 17, and then some other applicable scriptures today, we're going to see that God has something to say. He has a lot to say. Jesus is not silent on these matters of how we are to relate to our government. So let's go there, Mark chapter 12, verses 13 to 17, and see what he has to say. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees, and some of the Herodians, to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, 
Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to have your revealed truth open before us, how your Holy Spirit has written this to us through men as, as, they, as they followed and lived by your Spirit, and you specially used them to write your word to us. Lord, we pray today as, as we look at this topic of rendering to Caesar what is Caesar's, Lord, help us to understand what that means. Holy Spirit, reveal to us uh, what this section of Scripture is saying. Illuminate the text to us, we pray. Lord, we also ask that our hearts would be receptive, that you would be uh, renewing our minds as our, your word is taken in. Lord, your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We need your thoughts, not ours. So, Lord, we pray by your spirit that this morning you would use this in our lives and transform us for your glory and for our good. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So we may be having authority issues right now. Anybody agree with me? A little authority issues going on, maybe some anxieties uh, in, in our daily life here together in, in the West. We have to remember, just by the revelation of this text, Jesus is teaching us that submission to heavenly authority requires submission to earthly authority. That's really what I want you to take home with you today. Submission to heavenly authority requires submission to earthly authority. As we join Jesus and his disciples here, uh, they're in the temple again, and we remember that back in chapter 11, verse 27 from last week, Remember these chief priests and these elders and the scribes, that's the ruling council, the Sanhedrin, they were questioning Jesus' authority. They asked him back there in verse 27, by what authority do you do these things? But instead of answering them directly, knowing that they were out to get him, Jesus responds with his own question, right? Mark 11 verse 30. He said, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And after discussing it, the Sanhedrin chose not to answer him, right? Because, why? Because they feared their own people. But then to continue his point, Jesus went on last week to tell a parable about some tenants who were in charge of a vineyard who killed their master's servants and then ultimately the master's son because of their wickedness and greed. They wanted to inherit the treasures, the fruit for themselves. And so Jesus closed out the parable telling the Sanhedrin that the result of their own wickedness, their own greed, they're about to bring judgment upon themselves. And they knew that this telling of the parable was about them Mark chapter 12, verse 12. And they were seeking to arrest him, but they feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. And so they left him and went away. And that brings us to where we are today. They want to trap Jesus. Their first question of authority backfired, and so they're going to regather themselves again, and they're going to try something else, which brings us to our text today. So let's go back there to verse 13 and 14 of our text today. 
Verse 13, and they, that's the, the Sanhedrin, sent to him, sent to Jesus, some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians. To do what? To trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. And then they ask him this question, Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? That last question they, they asked didn't work out so well for them. And so they bring this other question and they believe that they can trap Jesus with this question. Why? So that he could be arrested and then ultimately killed. They don't want him around. And so we see here there's a dilemma of authority in this question. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? Which really leads us to our very first point here this morning, which is we need to accept our current dilemma. This is a question bringing a dilemma. God has a lot to say about how Christ followers are to relate to their governing authorities. And so in our, even in our own situation right now, what we need to do is accept our current dilemma. The situation between Jesus and the Pharisees seems to be a dilemma. It seems to be a predicament. The Cambridge Dictionary defines a dilemma as a situation in which a difficult choice has to be made between two different things you could do. And so this seeming dilemma that they bring to Jesus seems to be a choice. You can only make one of these choices, it seems, in this question between paying taxes to Caesar or not paying taxes to Caesar, which is right. So let's just back up a bit here and see who these men are, these Herodians and these Pharisees. The text says they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. So because of the recent context, again, we can safely assume that those who sent him are the Sanhedrin. That's the temple council. But we have these Pharisees and Herodians. And what's really revealing here is the fact that these two groups of people are acting together. Because at that time, there could be no two groups who were further opposed to each other in Israel than the Pharisees and the Herodians. In any other situation, Pharisees and Herodians were like oil and water. They were enemies. You see, the Pharisees, they were the most respected, nationalistic, religious superiors at that time. But then you have these Herodians who were seen as liberal sellouts to the Roman culture. Pharisees were narrow, conservative, right-wingers, resistors of Rome, while the Herodians welcomed all things Roman. But as misery loves company, they both hated Jesus. They were concerned that the coming of Jesus was going to upset their current plans. And so they partnered together against him. In fact, this isn't the first time. Way back in chapter 3, verse 6, right after Jesus healed the man with the withered hand, back in Mark chapter 3, verse 6, it says, The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy them. So we even see back then how they're partnering together, these, these groups that don't like each other, but partnering together. Why? Because they want to destroy Jesus. 
So these are the guys that are coming to trip Jesus up. They're the ones who want to trap him in his talk. And we see in in how they speak here this this conspiring craftiness about them. They say, teacher, rabbi. It's such a respected title for Jewish teachers at that time. They say, teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you were not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. You can just see them buttering Jesus up here, flattering him with respect and, and accolades. And what they're doing is they're hoping to catch him off guard. They're trying to disarm him before they trap him. And they do that through a question. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? You can see that the Pharisees and the scribes and those who were helping him, they must have worked really hard at this question. They were pretty sure that this question was going to bring Jesus down. You see, if Jesus answered that it's right to pay taxes to Caesar, the Jewish people are going to see him as a traitor. But if he said that they should not pay taxes to Caesar, then the Romans would see him as an insurrectionist and want to oust him or kill him. You see, Rome was okay with tolerating differences of religion, but when, when it came to being opposed to the state, it was lethal. And so Jesus is met with this predicament. He has this dilemma set before him. Now, we're going to talk about how he answers that in the the next section. But what I want us to first see here is this same predicament that Jesus faced in a different way is being faced by you and I today. Christians face the dilemma of how they are to remain Christian while living under non-Christian authority. We face the ongoing challenge of our allegiance to God and our allegiance to our country. We struggle at times with the authority our countries have over us. And I think just right out of the gate, what we have to understand is that this predicament we're given needs to be expected. And it needs to be accepted. Friends, there is is no Christian utopia. There never has been. There won't be anything like that on this earth. There is no nation, there is no continent on the planet where we're finally going to establish that Christian society. It's not going to happen. There's never been a place or time in all of history when the Christian has ever been at home here on this earth. Because the world is not our home. Paul writes in Philippians 3.20, But our citizenship is where? It is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said in John 14, 2, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go there to prepare a place for you? Hebrews 13, 14, For we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Friends, as long as we have breath on this earth, we are going to have this dilemma. We are living between two worlds. Right now, the earth is our temporary home. But we are strangers, and we are aliens here. Because even though, even though we have Canada stamped, stamped on our passports, the passport on your soul is stamped citizen of heaven. 
We're not from here. We belong with the Lord in heaven. This earth is not our home. When I get up and turn on the news in the morning, instead of grumbling over my coffee, I need to remember that this earth is not my home. I'm not in heaven yet. I'm here for a little while. We're here today. We're gone tomorrow. And so when I see the world falling apart all around me, when I see my country running hard and fast towards immorality and destruction, it should be expected. And I need to accept my current dilemma. It should be expected. And so, as Christians, we have this dilemma, this question that Jesus is facing, of paying taxes to Caesar or not. It's a dilemma of living under temporary earthly authority and an eternal heavenly authority. And so as we see our Savior facing this dilemma, and as, as we see the, the flattery of the Pharisees and the Herodians, we see Jesus respond. Jesus, who is, as they just said, in their flattery, Jesus, who is true, remember they said that, as one who doesn't care about anyone's opinion, one who's not swayed by appearances, but as one who truly teaches the way of God. That's our Savior. Even in their mockery and their flattery, we see the truth of Christ being told. And that is our King. That is our Savior. But he answers in verse 15, But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Well, Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar, and to God's the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Friends, we need to respect our temporary authorities. Respect our temporary authorities. Jesus says to them, why do you put me to the test? And then he asks them to bring him this coin, this denarius, so that he could look at it. Now a denarius, I've got a picture of one up on the screen. Denarius, it was a small silver coin. It weighed about 3.8 grams back then. Um, on one side of the coin was the face of the Roman emperor. That's Tiberius Caesar you see there. He is the son of Augustus. And then on the back side is a picture of Tiberius' mother, Livia. And the inscription on that side reads, Pontius Maximus, translated chief priest. So on, on Tiberius' side, it says, son of the divine Augustus, divine being God. And on the back side, where his mother is, it says Pontius Maximus, chief priest. At that time... Emperors of Rome were regarded as divine, as divine gods over their people. And at that time, the denarius, it was worth about a day's wages in Galilee. It was the only coin that you could use to pay your tribute to the Roman emperor. And it was basically just a tax on life. 
It was just a tax on uh, the privilege of living under a Roman society. And what's interesting here is that Jesus doesn't have one in his pocket. But guess who has one? The Pharisees and the Herodians. And so he asks them to bring it, and they bring it to Jesus, and he holds it up, and he says, whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. I'm going to ask somebody, who has a loony or a toonie in their pocket? Anybody? Nobody's packing cash these days? First person, bring me up a, a loony or a toonie. You can send a kid up here, too, if you want, real quick. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to steal it. I'll give it back. I'll also take 50s or 100s if you have that as well. All right, here we have one. Thank you, Aaron. Just stay here for a minute, okay? Okay, so we've got uh, a toonie. All right. So... On one side, we have a polar bear standing on the ice, and then we have on the back side, whose image is that? Queen Queen Elizabeth II, okay, you can take that. Thank you. Now, Aaron, whose coin is that? It's not yours? Yeah, so it is Aaron's coin. You can go and take a seat, Aaron. Thank you. Um, that is Aaron's coin, but it's, it's also the coin of the crown. Actually, when you look back at the time of the denarius and the Roman, uh, the emperor, when people had denariuses and coins uh, of the Roman government, the coins were never considered to be yours. They were always considered to be the coins that belonged to the emperor. And so Jesus is asking people, he's asking the Herodians and the Pharisees, whose image is this for a reason? He's asking who owns the coin? Whose coin is that? Whose picture is on that coin? The reason we have the queen's face on our money is not because it's actually hers. We have her image on our currency because her image represents the authority of Canada over its citizens. She represents the sovereign authority that our country has over us and the sovereign uh, ability on their part to tax their citizens. This was even uh, more so the case in Israel. The emperor was ultimately sovereign. When his image is stamped on the coins, the coins were regarded to be his property. And they were the only coins that were allowed to actually pay this tribute tax. So when Jesus lifts it up and he says, whose likeness and inscription is this? He's actually acknowledging the rightful authority over Rome, over their people. The rightful authority at that time of Rome over the Jewish people. And he says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. It wasn't the answer they were expecting. This blew the minds of the Pharisees and the Herodians. They were only expecting one of two outcomes, but Jesus had a third solution. And his answer to the dilemma was both. Render to Caesar what is Caesar's and render to God what is God's. 
So let's, we're going to first look at what does it mean to render to Caesar what is Caesar's. So the immediate context here, we have Jesus here standing in the temple, talking about paying taxes to Caesar and saying that it is legal, it is right according to God's law to do what? To pay taxes to the emperor, to pay the denarius tax, the tribute to the emperor. So in Jesus' eyes, it's good in his eyes and in light of the law of God to pay taxes to the crown. And if you even think about it, the Jewish people despise the Roman occupation. And yet Jesus says it's good that you pay taxes to the evil regime over you. And so as we think about ourselves... This applies directly to our lives here today. We must respect the authority that is over us. We must be rendering to Caesar what is Caesar's. Christ validates this right here. That the governing authority in place has been put there by himself. We know that by looking at the rest of Scripture. Romans 13 is a big area that we look to for this. Romans 13, 1-2. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by who? By God. So that means that the government of Canada and the leaders that have been placed there have been instituted by God. They may not be the most godly leaders. But in God's sovereignty, he has placed them there. God is not surprised at who is in control. He's not surprised by who won the last election. God puts these things in place. What he commands comes to pass. And we are called to be subject to that, to respect that, to submit to our governing authorities Verse 2 of Romans 13, Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. Friends, our, our respect and our submission to our country is not based on who we think should be in power. Christians ought to respect our government because we're commanded to. And... Because we embrace God's sovereignty over it all. Just think about the government that Jesus is calling his own people to submit to. The Romans were evil in their eyes. They were seen as outsiders, as filthy, as sinners, not to mix with them. But Jesus is calling his own people to submit, to respect to that authority, to pay their taxes to him. You see, a God who is sovereign over rulers and government calls his own people to submit to them. We must understand that this is for our good. It really is. Because government is better than anarchy. One commentator says, even a poorly run state is better than no state at all. Now, of course, our submission to our government is not unlimited, right? We don't submit to the point of sin. 
We don't compromise our faith. We don't renounce the name of Christ. But we are required to render to Caesar what is Caesar's. So along with this text in Mark, I've been studying some other scripture too to see how this applies, how we are to render to Caesar what is Caesar's. And I've seen, through God's word, five ways that we should be rendering to Caesar what is Caesar's. And the first is taken directly from here in Mark. The first is that we need to pay our taxes. Pay your taxes. Now, I know we don't like to see such a big chunk of our salaries being taken off of our checks, sent to Ottawa, sent to Edmonton, but by Christ's example here, taxes are one of those obligations of living under a governed country. As much as we can try to buck the system or complain, the old saying goes, there's nothing more sure in this life than death and taxes. As Jesus commands us to pay our taxes, this means that there's no wiggle room. There's no wiggle room to get around them. There's no fancy maneuvers that we should be pulling to cheat the government. There's no room for lying on tax returns. There's no room for not filing a tax return. From income tax to sales tax to property tax, taxes that are legally required by the government are legally and biblically required for us to be following and paying. Romans 13, 5-7, Therefore one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Pay your taxes. Next, we need to obey our laws. Romans 13, 3-4. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Friends, God has established governments and authorities and law to bring some of his justice and wrath into this world right now. To keep us safe. To protect the innocent. And to deal with criminals. To punish evil. 1 Peter 2, 13-14. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Whether it be to the emperor as supreme. Or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil. And to praise those who do good. So then we think about ourselves. What, what laws have I been breaking? What laws have you been breaking? What about that speed zone, school speed zone just outside your house? Was that school speed zone put there just to frustrate your plans? No, it was put there to preserve and to protect. It was put there by authorities for the safety of us and of others. It's for our good. How about you hunters and fishermen out there? with the limits that are placed on how much you can take. Was, are those laws put in place 
just to steal away your outdoor fun. No, they're put in place to preserve and protect. What about seatbelts? What about limits? What about safety regulations? What about building codes? What about bylaws? You can go on and on and on. We're given these laws for our good. And and sometimes, you know, they just seem over the top. But for the most part, the laws that are given to us are good. And God has established them as temporary laws and rules in our lives right now for what? For our good. Just imagine if you had no guidelines and no laws for your own children. How good would that turn out? They need the laws. We need the laws. We need to obey the laws. We also need to be honoring our leaders. Honor our leaders. You ever wonder why your representatives in government are called ministers? We have ministries in our government, ministers of, of parliament, federally, ministers of the legislative assembly, provincially, the word minister actually means servant. This means that Justin Trudeau, the prime minister of Canada, is the number one servant of Canada. When members of parliament are addressed, they're addressed as right, honorable minister. Back in Romans 13, Paul says that rulers are God's servant for your good, ministers for your good. Therefore, we have to honor them as such. No matter how much we may disagree, ask yourself, is the way that I'm speaking about a certain leader honoring to God? Really good question for myself. Listen to what God's word says in Exodus twenty two twenty eight. You shall not revile God, nor curse a ruler of your people. Romans thirteen seven. Respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. First Peter two seventeen. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. And when, when, when Peter was writing that, the, the emperor that was in power was, was absolutely horrible. And in the first century, how the rulers of Rome destroyed Christians. We're to honor those emperors. So our respect for others doesn't stop at the lawn on Parliament Hill. It goes all the way into the chamber, into the seats, towards the people who are ruling our country. Whether we like them or not, whether we, we, we're having a hard time respecting them, we need to find that respect and the power of the gospel towards them. Maybe they're not the leader that we would pick, but they play a role in God's sovereign plan for your good. Next, we need to pray for our government. 1 Timothy 2, 1-4. Paul writes, first of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. Verse 2, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good. 
And it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So let me ask you, are you praying for your leaders? Are you praying for your prime minister, for your premier, for all of our governments, for our our city government, our municipal leaders as well? Are we praying for them? Are you asking the Lord to save them? Right, Because this is pleasing in the eyes of God. He desires that all would be saved, that all would come to the knowledge of truth. So as much as we are criticizing, how much more should we be praying for them? J.C. Ryle says, It's easy to criticize and find fault with the conduct of kings and write furious articles against them in newspapers or make violent speeches about them on platforms. Any fool can rip and render a costly argument, but not every man can cut out and make one. To accept perfection in kings, prime ministers, or rulers of any king is senseless and unreasonable. We would exhibit more wisdom if we prayed for them more and criticized less. This doesn't mean that we don't have a voice. This doesn't mean that there's no place for change. This doesn't mean that there's no place for borders to be drawn. This doesn't mean there's no place to criticize something about the government. But what's at the core here is respect. As a Christian should respect and pray for all. Praying for our leaders. And then we also need to be watching our conduct. Watch our conduct. Titus 3, 1-2. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. 1 Peter 2.12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So as you interact in the public sphere around you, Are you watching your conduct and how you interact about what's going on in in the government? Are you watching your conduct? Is it lining up with your name as Christian? If you and I were to put up our social media posts on the screen behind me throughout this last election, would they be honorable? Would they show respect? Would they be full of perfect courtesy? Would it cry out that a Christian is the one who is saying these things? Our conduct always validates our confession. We need to let our good conduct speech speak so much louder than our temptation to tear somebody down and to disrespect. The days ahead of us for Christians is only going to get harder. It's only going to get harder. We know that's part of accepting this dilemma of living between two worlds. It's not going to get better here. It's going to get harder and harder and harder. Persecution is going to come. Christians are going to be more and more hated as we live in the days ahead. The world is going to say that you and I are old and we are antiquated. They're going to say that we're the ones who are haters. They're going to say that we're the ones who are wrong on any given social issue. They're going to say that that we're old fuddy-duddies when it comes to policies and godly values. And like the text says here, they are going to speak against us as evildoers, 
but not so for the Christian. We need to be honorable in our conduct. So that why? So that they would see our good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So when your neighbors are observing how you interact in your community, is it an honorable interaction? Are they seeing a Christian at work? Are they seeing a Christian living? How about your coworkers? Are they seeing that this person is different? They honor the government. They honor God. Is your conduct matching your holy confession as a Christian? Is our freedoms, is our free conduct in this free country pointing to the only one who can provide true and lasting freedom? Is the world looking at you in your conduct and seeing something so gloriously different than the world? Render to Caesar what is Caesar's. Pay your taxes. Obey your laws. Honor your leaders. Pray for your government. Watch your conduct. And there's more. We could go on and on and on talking about ways that we could apply this directly into our life. And that's good for you this week to go home. In what ways am I not meeting these? And in what ways can the Spirit by His Word help me to uh, be transformed to meet these things? Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, but Jesus doesn't stop there. He says, render to God the things that are God's. So we need to accept our current dilemma. We need to respect our temporary authorities, but above all, we need to submit to our eternal authority. What Jesus reveals here is that submission to authority requires submission to our temporary authority, right? Eternal authority requires submission to temporary authority. To render to Caesar and to render to God are not two separate allegiances. If you were to picture these in, in, in two balloons, rendering to Caesar, rendering to God's, they're not on their own. God's is the bigger balloon. Rendering to Caesar is a smaller balloon inside of that. It's a lesser balloon inside the greater picture of our sovereign authority in heaven. Rendering to Caesar is rendering to God. Proverbs 24, 21. My son, fear the Lord and the king. Fear the Lord and the king. And do not join with those who do otherwise. As God has established thrones and dominions, he uses them sovereignly to do his good work here on earth. R.C. Sproul says, All authority is under Christ. When we disobey lesser authorities, we are guilty of disobeying Christ. You cannot serve the king and honor his authority by rebelling against his appointed governors. To say you honor the kingdom of Christ while you disobey his authority structure is to be guilty not only of hypocrisy, but of cosmic treason. They're interrelated. They are connected. They cannot be separated. As Jesus holds this denarius up, asking whose image is on that coin, whose inscription is on that coin, we need to remember something else, what he's getting at here. We have to remember whose image whose inscription is printed on our hearts. Whose image and whose inscription is upon us. Genesis 1.27 So God created man in his own image. 
In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. You see, Caesar's image on that coin was reflecting his authority and his rights over his people. But we have to remember that ultimately, as Christians, we are the image bearers of God. He has stamped his likeness on us, his image on us. His image on us represents his authority over us. We are his children. We are not citizens of this world. We are citizens of heaven. And we were created in his likeness. And his name is written on our hearts. So when you think of Jesus holding up that denarius... Think of God who stamped his image upon you. As image bearers, we represent him. We bring honor to him as his likeness is further completed in us. So rendering to God what is God's is to be reminded that we are just here temporarily, right? But we have an eternal kingdom that is waiting for us. But while we're still here, we need to be growing further into that image. We're created in his likeness, but we're constantly, as Christians, through progressive sanctification, being made more and more into the likeness of Jesus Christ as his Holy Spirit works in us by his word, as he's given us the church to minister the gospel to one another, to grow together. Christ's likeness is being portrayed in us. We have an eternal kingdom that is coming. We're called to be walking in his spirit's strength as he transforms our hearts. The spirit is to be producing lasting fruit in us. We are to be making disciples with whatever little time that we have left. The world has authority issues. But we have a king. We need to be telling the world about that king about the one true authority, that one holy God who saves. We need to be calling the world to repentance, turning away from their sin, turning to Jesus Christ alone for salvation. To render to God what is God's is to live fully for him in all that we do, in the power of the gospel, knowing that the world is getting darker and darker. We need to accept this. We need to expect this. But we have a king who is sitting on the throne right now, ruling over his kingdom, and his kingdom is still coming. It's coming. So for that short time that we have left, let's render to God's what is God's. Let's accept our current dilemma. We're not in heaven yet, right? We're not in heaven yet. Let's respect those temporary authorities that God has placed over us, but let's submit ultimately to our ultimate authority, our King in heaven, because we are His. Our time is short. The world is passing away, but we have the gospel, and He is coming soon. Let's pray.